It's the Daily Talk Show, episode 778. Special guest in the studio, the virtual one, Erica Gerards. How are you? Welcome. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. I mean, you may be mistaken as a botanist with the beautiful mm. plants that you have littered around. I mean, I'd, I'd love to be able to say that I've got a flashy title as a botanist. Mm. Uh, but you're not a botanist either. <laughs> 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 but you're not a botanist. What? What? What's... Uh, shit starting question what's your title that you give yourself or have you sort of you just adapt in the moment at fluff yeah no as a botanist just a person who bought too many plants one day and now has to live with them um at fluff i call myself head of fluff so i have an aversion to titles and i think that they don't do anyone any good especially in a startup there's like a whole thing around title inflation so as a joke we all just call ourselves head of something and head of fluff is more like where my head is at it's in the clouds all the time there's so much shit going on in it um yeah i like that because i mean i i think we're the same jj Mm -hmm. but then there's the also the other side of owning a business that you almost it's legally you have to at least put something on paper i mean what is the difference i mean you've employed a lot more people than us Uh, do you have to actually label it as something other than head of fluff or are you legit going head of fluff (laughs) i mean obviously in terms of setting up a business you have to have a managing director so you could call me that if you like but my version is more for the people out there who run a blog and call themselves the founder and chief creative director and editor and it's like it's just you like what who are you kidding you have um on your email signature i feel like you've got like an animated gif where it flicks through like about a million titles mm-hmm. yeah so that's sort of my little like taking the piss out of it which is really just what fluff is trying to do in general like subtly have digs at the industry um yeah, so there's a few little things that roll through that I do. Uh-huh. And, and so is it um, beauty, cosmetics? How do you describe where fluff fits? Yeah, it's a really tough one and I struggle to tell people what I do. But, it, you know, after three years working on fluff, we're a little bit more comfortable in sort of saying that we're a casual cosmetics company. But we really believe beauty is so much more than makeup and that's the reason why we exist to discuss that and to challenge the industry and what they've been kind of spinning for however many decades. What's your favourite bullshit that the industry has been spinning? (laughs) Oh, just that you can reverse the signs of ageing. You mean I can't remove cellulite (laughs) with a little bit of this cream? I'm sorry to tell you guys that you are going to get wrinkles. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know. it's And so, I mean, how are we allowed to still in 2020 uh, market in this way? I mean, you guys obviously don't do yeah. that, but there's obviously a whole market that does pry on people's insecurities, play to people's insecurities. Yeah, and it's rampant on social media and there's so much that we don't see or don't have access to in general, but that are really like preying on minorities. Um which is really hard and frustrating for us. I often say that I need to have blinkers on so that I don't get distracted by the shit that's happening in the industry. Um, But mostly because, you know, there are are regulations on social and we're sort of cracking down on some areas, but there's so many blurry lines, I guess, and little things that you can get away with. And there's too many businesses out there to try and track them all. 
what is a beauty or cosmetics company do you think is it a is it a product company is it a marketing company well i think they're really great beauty companies these days are a mix and we see a lot of them becoming more sort of tech companies like they Mm -hmm. really have some advanced services or technology and systems like underpinning what they're doing um but i think it's really around being customer focused and sort of like building a community and sort of listening and responding to what they want because there's enough products in the world as it is i don't Mm -hmm. really know why anyone is starting a business anymore just because they were they have a product idea it's really mm. hard to innovate in that area in beauty these days i mean some of those products where or brands that we're referencing are um, ones that are doing really well but obviously they're moral they don't have morals they're just selling to <laughs> insecure people you know like all of us are um in terms of sort of looking to as a founder of a business um, look into this because you could easily look at one of these companies that is selling bullshit cream that is making a lot of money and thinking, how are they doing that? Why are they doing it? For you, what has been your version of what does success look like for you in your business, even three years ago when you just started Fluff? Yeah. So this is like a daily struggle I have and hence why I say I need blinkers because I often get distracted by a lot of these companies that are selling products that are either just shit in terms of their formulas or their packaging, but especially in terms of their messaging and there's no real reason for them to exist and yet they are and they're making a lot of money and profiting off impressionable consumers and especially young people's insecurities and it's hard because i mean for me fluff will be successful when um, it raises enough awareness that those brands or those companies don't have relevance in the industry and that there are less of those and then the companies that do have meaning or do have significance i guess rise to the top and, and have more relevance and can penetrate mass audiences and sort of cultivate that awareness or conscious consumption. Do you think that uh, it's a hard thing to create a business before the audience uh, say ready for that change and how do you educate the audience? Yeah, it's so hard. I think that Fluff was probably a couple of years ahead of where consumers were when we launched three years ago. Um, and there's still a lot of conversations that we have that either aren't landing or is quite polarizing con- for consumers because they're not ready for it. What it are does some take examples a level of, of self-awareness. What, what are some of those conversations that are sort of polarizing? So when we first launched, we started with a, just a social platform before we started with our products and we were trying to have conversations and two of the topics were why do we even wear makeup and why do we even take a selfie and if you try and challenge people on their answers to those questions you'll find that like immediately they're quite defensive and then sort of afterwards they can't really answer why they participate um, in these industries or with brands or companies in the way that they do or what they'll start to do is start sort of unearthing how they're part of a system and how we have been in some ways a little bit brainwashed and how we aren't maybe thinking for ourselves or making decisions for ourselves. 
Mm. And so how is Sounds, fluff different? I sound like a conspiracy theorist <laughs> no, or some like no. crazy person. I'm like, no, I, I love it. I mean, makeup, obviously. But- it's like <laughs> asking my wife why you like wearing that red lipstick and she says it's for her, uh, it makes me feel good. But then if you were to sort of peel back layers, it's like, is it for you? I don't know. And then you sort of just... Are you worried about some bloke at work or something? <laughs> is that what's happening? Well, it's, so? yeah. I mean, it's, it's always what's the second, third, fourth yeah. layer uh-huh. to exactly. what's, what's the fourth answer. And so do you think if you were to ask yourself, um, even though you think the answer is it makes me feel good, that might not be the answer for you, but do you think that there is more to it? Like what has been your sort of investigation as a conspiracy theorist? No, you're not. <laughs> Obviously not. Um, oh, it's fine. I'm definitely crazy. Um, <laughs> so I love asking people why or just things. I think I'm a really curious person by nature. So I'm like, like okay, like talk, tell me more about that. Where did that come from? Like where do you think you learned that? Um, and I don't think I would be asking people these questions if I hadn't, and aren't still asking myself these questions and I don't have all the answers like I struggle often and so it makes me feel like well if I'm struggling there's probably more people struggling and that we can have these conversations together um I saw recently some meme on social media and it was exactly what you commented on how so many women in particular may answer that they wear makeup for themselves but COVID has really shown that maybe that's not true because when everyone's just home by themselves they're just in casual like really bummy clothes and not putting on any makeup so it's like that doesn't really make sense then um Mm -hmm. yeah why do we have jeans why do we wear jeans shouldn't we all just wear tracksuit pants (laughs) they are comfy (laughs) so I think when we sort of ask ourselves why or you know a lot of women even myself included might say that we wear makeup because it makes us feel better or makes us feel nice and there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that and so then I might ask okay well why does it make you feel nice and I could answer I just feel a little bit more alive or I feel more pretty so then I'll ask okay well what why do you feel like you're not pretty without it and then people go oh well I don't really know like I just look worse and you just keep kind of asking like trying to peel away the layers and be like why do you think you look worse like where would you have gotten the idea that you without makeup is a worse version of yourself and that's where people often pause and they're like oh yeah I don't know (laughs) maybe it's because we're only shown images of people looking their best or wearing makeup and then when we see images of people not wearing makeup we're told that they look awful or look at the real them without it and how they're tired like we associate not wearing makeup with looking less so um how do you then work out what product to actually create because i guess if you're pushing back on the system it could essentially be an ad campaign where it's like hey don't buy anything Brought to you by Fluff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's the most backwards business model. We're a makeup company telling <laughs> people to wear less. And we're also using social media to tell people to get off their phones um, <laughs> and stop spending so much time on Instagram. And that's a, a challenge for me ongoing. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you have stakeholders involved as well, it's like how do you tell them how you're going to make money or sell products? So... For me, what I always have to say to people is that fluff is like, I can't really explain it in a 30 second elevator pitch. Like I, the whole reason we exist is because I want to sit down and spend time with people and tell them what we're trying to do. And that it's because having spent 
five to six, seven years in the industry and talking to consumers and founders and influencers and realizing this kind of growing sentiment of distrust and dissatisfaction in the industry. But then also saying that it's not about completely removing yourself Mm. and boycotting products. Like we can use makeup and it is okay to feel more in it so long as you don't feel less without it. And that's kind of one of the, the biggest things that Fluff is trying to achieve is have products that don't alter your face um, or involve covering up too much but just accentuate what you've got so that when you're not wearing makeup you feel more comfortable without it Um, and also just our our messaging that we're putting out there in terms of trying to not rely on sort of typical standards of beauty or traditional sort of very sell sell more more messaging i I know you've um done some uh, capital raising for the business, how much has uh, or has there been any shift from the vision from when you started solo to then getting people investing money into, you know, your baby? So I probably look over our original investment deck, <laughs> I reckon every maybe three to six months just to keep myself on track and I can sometimes convince myself that I've lost the plot and we're doing something totally different. But every time I come back to it, I'm like, no, the, the vision and kind of the original message is still there. Um, our execution on that vision has just sort of been different or are much probably slower um, than I expected it would have been. But I can rationalise everything based on some of the decisions that we've made and then the response from audiences. Um, yeah. It's interesting. How do you um, hire? Because I guess if you get people who are just coming from the industry, they might have some of the um, the stuff built in that you're trying to push back on. Have you got certain questions or systems to try and hire the right type of people? Yes, that's, again, another big challenge for me is that everyone is sort of set in their own ways and how do you tell someone or prepare them for what they're going to go into when there's nothing to compare it to. Oh, I keep losing my mm-hmm. It's a bloody airport. This is, this is, this is your... Um, my your, version. It's the ears. It's, is no, it my know. ears that are wrong, not the airport. Well, I reckon... Well, you, were saying, you were saying you've got small ears, yeah. ear holes. So if you've got small ear holes, maybe you need to put the bigger... I've had a lot of AirPod issues. So Hang on, I'm how do you land on knowing the – like I wouldn't even think about my ear hole size. You don't really think about it until you get the AirPod Pros. You and don't they, because, all of a sudden yeah, they you've have got a sizing. sizes. <laughs> oh. oh, God. Really just putting us into a box, aren't they? Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> That's why I was like, I don't like this. The other ones are fine. I can try the, big, and, try the, bigger, the bigger ones. I reckon that could potentially help. But, yeah, so, um, yeah, the hiring process. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Okay, so it's hard to sort of sit down with someone because we all like we like working off what's familiar, right? That's why mm-hmm. everyone's losing the plot right now with COVID because this is unprecedented and no one's like ever been put in this situation or they don't have anything to compare it to to know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Fluff, it's like how do I say there's nothing that I can say, oh, we're like this brand or we're like this company. We're really trying to make our own rules up along the way and each person that we've brought on to I've really tried to involve them in that process and say that fluff can be whatever they want it to be or their role within fluff can be whatever they want it to be and that you know we're trying to 
break like traditional beauty standards and challenge the industry. So they kind of have to forget everything that they know. And that's hard because it involves or might seem that then I have to shut down a lot of ideas that have worked for other companies and are working really well for other companies. Um, And there are a lot of quick wins or strategies that Fluff probably could employ. But because of our sort of mission and where we want to go, we just have to sort of stand strong and be like, no, that's not our vibe. That's not what we're going to do. How much is that? Uh, that's is that listening to your internal feeling of what is right, like intuition? Is that how you see it? Yeah, I struggle a lot with knowing when to like run towards or run away from my gut feeling. And I think it's something that when you run your own business, it's just a long sort of journey. Maybe some people are better at listening to that earlier on than I am, but I think it's just something that I'll constantly be challenged by um, and kind of go in between. I mean, is it a feeling of knowing you're onto a winner? I mean, it's like we believe in what we're doing here at The Daily Talk Show, a big media company. Is it a matter of like convincing other people that are a part of your journey, a part of the business that, yeah, no, this is how it is and this is what we're doing? Like are you convincing staff members? Um, I think the the biggest job I have is actually to convince myself because when I have that conviction it's like no one can really stop me and everyone will just sort of like do as I say but when it becomes hard is when I can't convince myself and I'm unsure and I'm sort of stuck in this limbo and then I can't do that job of say storytelling or um, showing my employees like where we're headed and what it is that I want to achieve. Do you have a sense of what success looks like? For me, I think, or what I often have to tell our investors or what we sold them on was that Fluff was at minimum a five to seven year plan in terms of getting the traction that we would need um, before we establish ourselves as a company that will hopefully be around for 20, 30 years. Um, I really want Fluff to be known like locally but also internationally as a brand that sort of challenged industry norms and provided an alternative brand and message for consumers whereas every other brand or company tells you to buy more and with more you are more we Mm -hmm. sort of want to encourage um buying less but feeling more Uh, i was on your site lovely great looking products uh i was noticing though like and it's something i think we've been thinking about a bunch is the trademarks and the right reserves and you know the beauty industry has so much i was in the shower the other day looking at a product my wife has and I was reading the bio of it and it was like midway through and they'd like have a trademark on a specific word and then I saw you guys you've got a bunch of trademarks yeah shop casual cosmetics and make under what's the difference between the little r symbol and the tm symbol (laughs) the registered and the trademarked it's really around usage and classification for industries where you can use them um And trademarking is a really interesting one. Like we burnt through a lot of cash doing that. And I don't know if I would strongly suggest to startups doing such, but the hard thing about coming off the back of Frank Body and launching a new business was I sort of had all this insight into what would be required and to all the work that we were trying to do later on to catch up on. And so with Fluff, I was like, cool, I'm going to try and do this from the beginning. So we're not kind of, 
running, chasing after our tail later on. Um, but yeah, it can feel very unnecessary when you're going slower. Mm, well, I guess, Josh, that's like you yeah. saying, uh, act as if it's going to be the big thing. Yeah. Mm. yeah I, but I think at the same time that it can be a bit of a trap. It's like to speaking to a law firm and getting all of these agreements uh, and working out the costs and saying, okay, mm. well, um, uh, yeah, what is, what's this really doing? Like, I think that sometimes we can fall into the trap of going into it with the posture of this is going to be the biggest thing ever. And especially if you've worked at companies where it's like, oh, there's been trademark issues or whatever it is. But then there's the fact of like, when you have trademarks, you then have to fucking protect them. And so then it becomes like every trademark you have is essentially a liability in regards to legal costs uh, that you have. What's your opinion, Erica, on um, intellectual property in general? I have many opinions and I sigh because it's exhausting. Um, <laughs> and you know what? It's like if people are going to probably try and copy and rip off your shit no matter what, even if you have trademarks. And it, it, it's, again, there's so many sort of blurry lines, like what you can get away with in any industry now in terms of slightly changing product design and in beauty like formulas it's there's so much is very similar um so it's like what is worth trademarking and what could you fight and you know if you are fighting it are you just in shit anyway it wouldn't matter if you had mm. the trademark or not um i think that unless it's something like very very specific to your brand and company um that you really feel like you need to defend then in some cases it's probably not worthwhile I mean, in frankly experience, people sort of using similar names and a lot of similar designs and there was there actually wasn't much we could do about it and we had to have a conversation internally where it was like we can spend all of our time and energy and money on trying to fight these or we can put that time, energy and money just into strengthening our own brand and business. Mm-hmm. It sort of feels it's like the, um, yeah, there's, there's two different approaches. There's the... Um, you look at, say, the taxi industry and Uber and you can look at uh, playing the position of defending your position versus constantly trying to disrupt yourself so that you don't have to worry about sort of, I, I guess, yeah. when you go into the defending position, there can be a sense of stagnation that's happening or that you've arrived at the thing that you're going to do, whereas we know it's yeah. continually evolving. Uh, what was the first product that you launched with with Fluff? So we launched with our bronzing duet, which is this Zamek metal compact. Um, for you guys, I don't know if you know what a bronzing powder is. Many guys I still laugh at when they're like, what do I do with this? And I just assume that they know. Um, so it's just a powder. It obviously gives you the illusion of a suntan. Um, there's no sparkles in it, but our product or the compact it comes in is really beautiful so it's weighted it's made of metal it's refillable and it's this beautiful mirrored like cloud shape this is the lip one which is smaller um so it's not really like traditional beauty packaging which is obviously plastic and cheap and shit um and doesn't look nice and isn't really it doesn't look like the shimmer that brie used to wear when when we were younger you know you do the whole shimmer (laughs) shimmer look is shimmer still in shimmer a thing um, it is, unfortunately. Uh-huh. still like getting around looking like disco balls. And I was one of those girls. Um, 
and you know there'll always be a place for that that's actually the beauty of makeup in this industry Uh is that it's about expression and if you want to look like a disco ball go crazy but fluff is more that alternative for sort of wanting to look like yourself um, and letting your sort of your skin and your freckles and everything show through do you think uh, people are better at doing makeup these days based on youtube and things like that oh yeah it's it's amazing. It, what social media and YouTube has done is really challenged like the professional industry in general, whether you are a makeup artist, whether you're a photographer, whether you're a filmmaker. These younger generations, and it's why I'm so fascinated by them, have access to so much information. And when they want to learn a new skill, they just look it up on YouTube and they're able to, to do so. And it's why we have so many incredible makeup artists online like they are teaching themselves this stuff whereas previously we never had access to that information before do you think that the australian market specifically i don't know where i heard this but around australians uh, tend to hide blemishes or things like that they sort of use more makeup to to mask things where places like um europe or other parts spend more time in fixing those issues have you have you heard this and are there any culturally specific things you see that the Australian market's doing that's different to international? Yeah, it is really different um, for each market and uh, but there's also like subsets with it in each market, do you know what I mean? So Australia, mm-hmm. people would say that we're very much about like a beauty and natural and just focused on skincare and having that golden glowy fresh face look. But there's a huge community of um, consumers who prefer and, I guess, look up to and like the heavy performative makeup mm-hmm. view. So there's like sort the of contouring like contouring and stuff. It, yeah, every market has that. And just like mm-hmm. in America, where you might say that there might be an overwhelming response or market for brands like Kylie Cosmetics, um, they also have some incredible like leaders in the natural look so um yeah but then you have sort of obviously like um k beauty and then there's you know people who have like 20 step routines so it's really mm-hmm. different and what we've really realized is you can't be for everyone and and some people ask fluff to be all of that like they ask if we're going to release a foundation if we are going to have say a toner or 10 different skincare products but that's not our vibe and we really have to I guess, stay true to that. And it's really easy to think that you should be pulled in a certain direction and want to do that kind of stuff. But yeah, I have to remind myself and I feel lucky I have people around me to tell me that I promised I'd never do something. Mm -hmm. How much, I was just going to say, how much of it is marketing? So for instance, how similar is that, um, the bronzing product to like, uh, do you remember Thin Lizzy back in the day, the Thin Lizzy? Is it like how much of this stuff is taking... The Thin Lizzy, uh, creating a brand around like, don't use so much, simplify it, cut out a couple of, of the, um, the bad shit if there's anything that's sort of harmful, uh, redesign the packaging so that it's not obnoxious and that's stylish. Like, how, like what is the, the process and how is, say, a fluff product different to, say, the other end of the spectrum, which is like a, you know, a TV, uh, a scene on TV product? Yeah, um, so we get compared to like the formula to Thin Lizzy a lot mm-hmm. and I'm fine with that. I take it as a compliment and it is just I think products in general are just 
usually the product of evolution in terms of us being like, cool, I like this, but how can it be better? Um, I can't believe I hit I the nail on the head with that thin Lizzie yeah, comment. Yeah, like, that's <laughs> yeah <laughs> you did it. Well done. How do you even know about thin Lizzie? I just remember. Yeah. I Chemist Warehouse. <laughs> no, no, just like big, big you know, Danos Direct or that sort of shit. Remember. I wonder how it's Lizzie's like with, doing. Um, totally. Jeff Jow with these oh, you know, love- protein bars and stuff. You know. Yeah. Um, the YouTube video for Thin Lizzie, the original one, is like amazing. Um, <laughs> well, because so, it was all I in mean, one, we, right? It was like, a, you know, yeah, you could do everything. Yeah, all in one, six in one. Yeah. You can use it, put it on your knees if you want. <laughs> so, I mean, for us, uh, Bronzy, when we, we did a lot of research for almost two years before we launched Fluff and we're really looking into the most frequently used products and sort of the, the base products that... Um, a woman or a person whose makeup might like and we really like it boiled down to a lip product like a lip balm a powder of sorts and mascara and of those three products that we were developing the bronzing powder was the first one that was ready that we were happy with um but I always say like out there are very similar formulas on the market to fluff. There are other brands who use metal. Still got a landline. You got a landline at your joint. So landline. Front door. Oh, that's my door. Front door. I know that's all good. Stay. (laughs) Um, So yeah, there's nothing. There isn't really that much. Um, Yeah, you can draw parallels. And I remember when I went Mm -hmm. to big beauty expos. And it's just like so much of it is the same. Mm. It's just tiny little tweaks that they people make. But that's why I think brand is so much more than just your product or your logo. It's everything coming together. And mm-hmm. I think it's what is the obviously the first thing that people interact with, with fluff, seeing us either on social or hearing about it from a friend. Like they, our message is resonating because our message is quite different because a lot of people have enough makeup as it is, but then they're choosing to align there purchases with their values so you have something like thin lizzie that's probably been around and done a lot of sales over its time and then as someone starting a business you could see that as like there's success or or not for 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 your brand you you sort of honed in on it's like what people think when they see it which can dictate how much you can charge for it what is the number one um, thing you're going for when people see the brand fluff what do you want them to think I would like them to see that there's an alternative um, message um, in the industry and an alternative view from a company um, and that it's a brand probably wanting to support, I guess, their awareness or just their um, view of themselves as opposed to just going straight for their wallet. I think if I wanted to stay just in the game of making money, I probably would have stayed at Frank or there's many other things that I could do or go and work at L'Oreal or a big company. But fluff is so much more for me than that. And when we see the feedback we get from customers about how our conversations are changing the way they see themselves in the industry, like that's what makes us want to keep going and we just want more people to see that. You seem like you're a craftsperson around copy. What's some... uh tips for say a small business that's wanting to write Mm -hmm. a copy for their website what are the the common things that they get wrong and what what tips would you have i mean i think it depends what industry you're in and what you're Mm -hmm. doing but i think for startups and small companies i think that um it's a really good idea to everyone's always like how do i find out what my voice is but it's like you just but they don't just start writing 
And mm-hmm. I would say, if you want to be yourself, just do that. Like, why would you employ someone else to be you? Start with mm-hmm. you, maybe then get someone to look over it. Um, but we're all the, trying to be different. Yeah, what about the cliches? Like Frank Body's obviously got a very specific tone. Zoe Foster Blake with Go To has a very specific tone and then I see it peppered around you see other people picking up bits and pieces how do you um steer clear of cliches and um or when do cliches actually serve you I think cliches and puns were really in for a while Mm -hmm. and I think Frank Body was sort of the peak of that and then everyone started using them and doing the same thing and then once something sort of gets saturated and hits that critical mass it's no longer cool or no longer funny Mm -hmm. and i would think that consumers are very wary and skeptical now of cliches and they know that it's just a marketing strategy i think for someone like zoe at go to like her voice is how she speaks sort of anyway it's a part Mm -hmm. of her and her life and and even her family like that sort of um humor it's just that who she is and that's why it feels genuine and true but if someone was quite serious in real life and then tried to put that across it doesn't mm. um it doesn't come across in the same way and of yeah. course there's uh, there's enough people in the world and consumers that it'll resonate with some and those tactics still do work but we especially with the younger generation that we're trying to talk to with our brand they're like very skeptical of that mm-hmm. and they just want to know straight away like who people are I mean, you can keep one of the AirPods out if it's easier for ah, you too, because I think it sounds fine if you pick a better ear. It's um, going to be the best promo for Apple. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of, so Frank had the the persona, you know, we, we people sort of that dug into the brand, understand the founding um, personalities behind it. I mean, for, for you, do you think it's, would your advice be to go the persona route f- so you can take yourself out as a, you know, a founder that has to be, you know, the one speaking on the mm-hmm. brand? I'm just, I, like, I've, I've, I've thought about it a lot starting my own business of, do I put myself out there or do I try and build it beyond me from the get-go? What's your advice to found young founders? Again, it depends on like your product and your service. It's not necessary for all, but for others, I think people really want to know who is behind a business, especially say in the beauty industry, because there's so many brands. It's like, who am I buying this from? Like, what do they care about? What are their values? What do they stand for? Am I buying something that's just being drop shipped from China or am I buying something that someone has worked on and like toiled on for years and, and for reasons other than just making themselves rich? which is why I think like founding stories or um, personal like context or like profiles are more important than ever. Um, And it's just is what differentiates content now. With all the COVID stuff, uh, I can imagine that if you've got a product business, it can be hard working out, you know, supply chain issues, things like that. Is there a move to make products in Australia, do you think that that's going to change now after the pandemic? Something that we kind of kept asking ourselves in the like first few months of COVID was like, we hope people learn lessons or we hope there is change. And unfortunately, I feel like it's been a temporary change, but consumers and businesses sort of just going back to how it was i mean we're yet to see the full effects of um what's going to happen to the economy and businesses and at fluff we did feel a lot 
um, in terms of some of our operations and processes. I think that where possible, like businesses should try and produce locally, but I also understand that if you are producing on mass to meet a demand, it can there are limitations for doing it here. Um, and a lot of people when they start businesses sort of set themselves up without thinking about or realizing where they're going to be in five, 10 years time. And if the decisions they make in the beginning are going to come back to hurt themselves five or 10 years down the track in relation to say like margins and costs and everything. So yeah, I think it's this balance of being reactive, but also proactive and, and, and planning. As a founder, um, mental health, you know, the hustle culture has been a big, big thing that I think is a counter to mental health. What has your approach been to mental health running your own business? I like to think that I have a nice balance of wine and therapy and <laughs> going for walks and having good, a really good community of people to talk to. Um, I, as a founder though, like something I am really passionate about in the last probably 12 months is therapy and having someone external to talk to. And I don't think that therapy should be something that anyone is ashamed of or um, feels like is a taboo topic. As a founder, you have so much pressure, whether you are working on your own, whether you have a team of five or a team of a hundred and whether you have investors or not, there's just so many things that you're trying to balance as well then with your personal life. And it's so good, I think, an investment in yourself and, and your business to have someone to be able to talk to, to get yourself out of your own head because without, well, for me personally, without having a psychologist to meet up with and talk to, you really can start to believe your own shit. And sometimes that's good to have wings on, but other times it's really good to be called on um, some stuff and, and try and think about why you make some of the decisions you do or why you respond to events or situations in specific ways. Um, so that's been really important for me. And then it's about obviously just prioritising and knowing what's important and what I need to be at the top of my game. And if that means sometimes taking a night off and having wine that's so fine and if that means sometimes working really late and cancelling plans with everyone that's also good yeah you were talking about being allergic to uh, admin before the show uh, <laughs> i haven't seen a therapist and part of it is the uh, annoyance of admin having to book the shit in having to go there having to speak to the reception person having to book ahead all that sort of stuff um how have you found the therapist? What's the experience been like? What's the biggest takeaway from, like, what's the biggest change that you've seen personally by doing it? So I remember the day I was like, I think I do want to see a psychologist. And I have, like, a, a really good network of, like, unofficial mentors and friends and I can talk to my family. So I don't think I was ever short of people to talk to, but it felt like I was missing say the right person to talk to and someone that didn't have any emotional investment or connection to my life and the morning I said I need to see a psychologist I got a referral from a friend and then another counselor literally walked into our store at Fluff and bought our product and we just happened to ask what she does 
and she told us she was a psychologist. So we were like, great, I'll book in an appointment. And I, if she ever listens to this, she really should give me commission because I've got about <laughs> 10 or 15 of my friends seeing her now and people who own businesses. And everyone says they have benefited just in, um, I think what it does is it shortens your, um, or in, sorry, it gives space to your response or your reactions to certain events, whereas something might happen to me and I'd usually either get angry or really emotional or upset. I give myself the time to either wait and speak to her and then what she's taught myself about my life patterns of behaviour and what I've learnt from my family and from the significant events in my life, like how much that defines me and my response to certain events and I've been able to now have that sort of awareness and space between it to make sort of more meaningful decisions Mm. um, going forward so it strengthened like my personal relationships my business relationships and just my relationship with myself and as a byproduct of that I think I'm more creative and more probably emotionally intelligent when it comes to making decisions especially around interactions with other people uh, I heard but on I a, think, Yeah, go on. Oh, I was just going to say I was very, um, I think, in a similar way to you, wary of the admin involved in getting a mental health plan and just setting up in the same thing with mm-hmm. seeing a receptionist and being in a waiting room. But it's so amazing now and, like, very, I think if we remove the stigma and just think about it as someone to talk to, like, with COVID, I've been do I do all my calls via Zoom now, and it's great. Like I probably feel more comfortable in my own home um, talking to my psychologist, and I think that you know you it's very easy to get a mental health plan, but then there are also counselors that are probably cheaper than traditional psychologists that are the same price if you were on a mental health plan. Mm-hmm. So there's just options, and just the more you ask around, the more you're amazed at how there are people out there who are like, "Yep, I'm seeing one." And then you just try, there is a little bit of work that you have to get through because if you don't gel with a psychologist straight away, you want to see someone, you want to try someone new and not feel like you're stuck to it. Yeah. Um, and that's just a bit of time. Do, do all those friends that you refer go to the same counsellor? Like, is she, she got all the secrets <laughs> on you guys? <laughs> Building a mind. I, I was like, she has the biggest window to my life ever. <laughs> um, yeah, but Does she it, do 360 reviews? The, <laughs> <laughs> seriously. But if you trust in, like, obviously her, like, duty with, like, mm-hmm. privacy, um, I think it's it's fine. And I always say it's probably the best investment that you can spend, like, in terms of yourself and the benefit that it has for the people around you. Um, it's, it's amazing. But it definitely brings up shit. You've kind of got to go through mm. some pain to get to the other side. Which, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the... It's not always just the admin because you do a lot of admin. It's also what admin do I do? What a- well, you run your, you are living and you pay rent and prepays rent. Jeez, I'm going to lift off everyone. <laughs> no, but I mean, like knowing it's it's my aversion to watching a sad movie at times. I'm like, why do it? I know yeah. what's going to yeah. fucking. I, I know bought this is my make sister's feel- keeper on Blu-ray. I didn't realize it was a sad film. It was the dumbest thing I'd ever done. <laughs> like it's a very sad film. You shouldn't but own that. We try and we move. It's it's a form of pain. Mm-hmm to go through personal yeah. shit and so obviously yeah. it makes sense that we're trying to avoid it mm. at all costs yeah. yeah yeah but the other option is that it just stays in you and that feels weird <laughs> yeah yeah it's not good you know? I, yeah <laughs> i heard on a um the founder podcast that you did you were talking about the sort of a caveat that you've said around 
oh, you know, the founder that I am today or co-founder I am today is very different to uh, the one when you started, um, Frank. And I just thought it was yeah. it was interesting around as you evolve, as you have these experiences, as you have these aha moments, as you see the cycles or some of the, uh, you may go to a psychologist and then look back at other things and like, oh, that was actually like, yeah, this person fucked up here, here and here, but also like all these patterns that I have contribute to it. How do you find reconciling old shit? Like, do you sit down with people and say, hey, I realize here now that I was a contributor to this or do you just sort of like let it go and look forward? I think the biggest reconciliation has to come with yourself, like understanding what you did and that say if you have wronged someone or caused someone pain unintentionally or intentionally that you'll never be able to control their response or their forgiveness. Like it has to be you first reconciling Mm -hmm. that. Um, I think that, I mean, I hope that I'm a very different business owner in 10 years and in 20 years than I am now um, Mm -hmm. in compared to when I was 25 or 21. And that's just a matter of accepting that we have a lot to learn. And I know that sounds really obvious, but I think a lot of people go about their lives as if they don't have anything more to learn. And that's the biggest mistake I think any founder can make. You know, there is with every person that we meet and every decision we make, there are sort of flow on effects that you know and just as the world evolves we want to kind of operate in it differently Mm. so I think I can look back on decisions I made at Frank and at Willow and even when I was working for someone else when I first finished uni and I just had more understanding of the um the mind frame that I was in and why I chose to do the things that I do and now I hope that I'm making sort of better decisions or more informed decisions and that in 10 years it'll be even the next level of that. Yeah, you talk about storytelling. Uh, Being a natural storyteller I think can have a lot of benefits especially when you're working on brands uh, when it comes to creating narratives and stories that um, around your life I guess it can be destructive uh tommy says that i create some pretty good stories some of the best yeah some of the best have <laughs> you it's not uh, true <laughs> <laughs> well we don't know yet do we um are you um do you create stories and connect dots and do you have any mechanism around when that serves and when it doesn't yeah i think it's a challenge if you are a creative trying to wear say like business um or logistics boots or a hat um, Mm -hmm. because you sort of feel torn or they feel counterintuitive. Um, But storytelling is like where I started or as a writer or copywriter and I still enjoy it the most in my job. It's funny, one of my staff challenged me yesterday. She said, when was the last time you wrote something? Former staff. And I was like, like, no, like good point. And, you know, you can get so caught up in the, the business side of business that you forget sort of why people are buying from you and why you Mm -hmm. have a business is usually because you've created a story that people are interested in. Um, But it is really hard sort of day on day to be creative or to tell a story and then year on year. um, That's the biggest challenge and especially when you see people repurposing or recrafting the stories that you've created. And it would be foolish for us to think that the story we came up with three years ago for fluff um, wouldn't need revisiting or wouldn't mm. need tweaking. Do you think investors get that? Do you think like you, you tell a story at the start 
you say this is what it's going to be, you have your, your deck, you do your presentation, and then you evolve. How do you communicate that evolution to investors? Um, I think that it does involve constant communication and communication is the biggest thing for me in any relationship, whether it's business or personal. Um, and it sometimes feels really hard when business is slower than you might have expected it to or the journey that you first sold people on is taking longer to really stand by that story and that vision. But it is usually what investors first go for. They want to speak to you and to the person who created it because when you think about it they have the money and if there wasn't a story involved they'd probably just go and do it themselves like the Mm. product is the easiest part it's how you sell the product um so yeah we spend a lot of one-on-one time with a few of our investors who are more involved and who probably need that um reassurance or to understand a market that they're not that familiar with and then there's others who just i think trust us completely with what we're doing um yeah, the investment space is really tricky. It depends on what type of investor they are and what experience they have. You mentioned earlier about um, explaining what fluff is and the elevator pitch is one that's a bit harder to do for a brand like this. I mean, is that sort of counter to the investment space? How do you navigate if that is the answer? Yeah, and I mean, we had an elevator pitch. Like when we wrote our decks too, I had like a 95-page deck, a 30-page deck, and a four-page deck. And the thing is that when you first tell someone like, oh, I have a beauty brand, they go to a few places. They're either like, cool, you sell at a few markets, or cool, you're another Instagram brand, or unless it's just like a name they straight away know, which is why I sort of, if some people are like, what's your point of difference? I have to be like, well, how long have you got? Like our brand is our difference. But if it was that obvious or that easy for you to see straight away, there are probably a lot more people doing it. Like there's layers and depth, which is Fluff's whole reason to exist, to kind of peel away these layers and to spend time with consumers. We like to say that customer intimacy is Fluff's thing and that's the next evolution of customer experience. But And it's what so many brands don't get right. How do you create depth on day one? I don't think you can, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. It, that's like, can you, it's very rare that you can make someone fall in love with you on a first date. No, you should and say if they go. do, it's. <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife, day one. Yeah, you know, yeah. But it's like, or well, they might, based on, yeah, your exterior and a few little, like, charming lines <laughs> that you have. But then after a while, it'll begin to sort of, you'll see some cracks or start to get to know you and be like, oh, okay. And, that's what fluff is about it's sort of accepting us as a whole like we're not perfect we'd be lying to Mm -hmm. you if we were like we have flaws we have imperfections like just as every human does but we hope that people understand take the good with the bad and that we're evolving and learning just as our consumers are and we want them to be around for that journey with us so you go to i was just gonna say i mean the love thing it's it's got so many other elements involved right it's like trust people Mm seeing enough sort of touch points with your brand where they're being you're giving them the opportunity to fall in love mm. with you yeah it's interesting. definitely it's a, it's a hard one and so yeah, and um, they're gonna get bored like love comes in waves mm-hmm. it got very deep didn't it yeah yeah i mean yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah you love yeah 
I love my wife. <laughs> it's our wedding anniversary tomorrow. So oh, that's nice. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Shout out. To your wife. Shout out. Um, yeah, it's, it's a funny one because when you start out, you want it to be this thing that you think it will be in the future, but it's – it's how, how do you go with – because I, I could imagine you're the type that gets frustrated that you're not two years ahead when you've just started, but you've got to start somewhere. Yes. Actually, just my business partner um, in Frank, I read somewhere she wrote like stress is this idea of knowing where you want to be and then trying to reconcile that with where you are now. <laughs> and I think that's really kind of um, <laughs> pointing. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and it's when you have that, I think, like vision that is clear and it's, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that fluff has been a really humbling experience for me and it's probably a business journey that most people or older generations would have experienced. So we were incredibly fortunate with Frank and yes, we did work very hard, but it was a perfect storm of right time, right place, right product, um, right price. And that's, it's rare to have that. Not every business has that. So this is sort of a chance for me to, I guess, go slower and take time to know what it is that I'm doing and who that I'm doing it for and to experience like that growth, like not to feel like just one day I wake up and I'm like, how did I get here? What have you learned about yourself during all the COVID and ISO stuff? I have learned that I really like routine and mm-hmm. that our office and store provided a routine or a structure for me that I miss. Um, I have learned that my minimum lack or or my ideal seeing people is just once a fortnight that I actually do love being alone and I love people, but I reckon I can do two weeks without seeing anyone get Mm. my fix of like a small dinner and then go away on my own for another two weeks. Um, But it has been interesting for me to just think about online and offline and what we rely on and what it is that we sort of want to do going forward I think that COVID gave everyone the chance to sort of either get off this treadmill that we've all been on um, or just slow down the pace completely and take the incline off. And where where do you sit on the treadmill scale? Are you on? You're off? <laughs> I'm, I mean... I'm on it. I'm still on it. Um, but I reckon that I have taken the incline off and, yeah, sort of um, I reckon I'm doing sort of sprints, so going fast for a bit and then slowing down. Yeah, fart leg mm-hmm. training. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, yeah. what's what's on the horizon over the next sort of six months? What can people expect from Fluff? So we have a lot of product development for the next six months, um, which I'm excited about. Um, we are revisiting a lot of our sort of packaging and branding decisions because we sort of had that chance to do that. Um, and then trying to just... I think we sort of paused a bit of our messaging on social or we're a bit scared to be ourselves. Like we need mm-hmm. to take Fluff's message ourselves sometimes. Um, so it's more about just being who we are and not being afraid to say what we think and even doubling down on our transparency and inviting people into Fluff's world and what we do and who we are. Because that really is our point of difference. There's not many Mm. beauty brands, I think, that give you this much of a sort of insight into the people behind the business and the process in the business and invite users to be a part of that journey. Mm. 
Where does listening fit in for you? So listening to consumers or listening to culture and what's happening right now? Oh, it's everything. And I think that's because a lot of people listen, but not actively. Um, mm -hmm. And they're, they're, they don't hear what people say. You know, they're in the room. They're just like, yep, you spoke. My ears picked up on noise, but I didn't hear like what you were trying to say to me or the emotion behind it or the needs behind it. So we really, like, it's a big thing of us always trying to check our ego at the door and just when people pass on constructive or not constructive criticism, being like, what's going, what's behind this? Like, what are they trying to say? What? what position are they in, where are they coming from, and then how can we either provide a solution um, or be better each time and just anytime someone passes on feedback for Fluff, we try and be like, cool, fair point. Like we will like see what we can do in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, and I just don't think many brands listen. I mean, it's hard when you scale. I don't, and, you know, we experienced that at Frank when we went from like five of us to like a team of 30 you know, that was hard enough. I can't imagine what it would be like trying to listen when you're a company of 300, 500, 1,000 employees. It's really difficult. Mm. And also when it's really, really working. I guess, you know, Frank selling so much product and it being this thing that is working from the outset, when do you listen? And then when do you go, I'm not listening to that because over here we know it's working and what we're doing is right. Yeah, and because, you know, you sort of are like anything could change one day. So do we need to be listening and trying to have like a crystal ball to know where something could go wrong? But even when things are going right, that presents itself with a series of problems, especially around growth. Um, and you can sort of lose sight of where you started or, or think that there's one reason why it's doing right as opposed to something else. It's tricky, which is why I think it's really good to have a few people sort of in your close circle who can who are there to challenge you who are there to play devil's advocate um yeah devil's annoying sometimes though isn't it yeah. i was gonna <laughs> so say so annoying yeah. to, i love i would love if i could just not listen to anyone but i know that that's not right <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I, f I feel like i would um if i wore makeup i'd be a fluff guy like i went on the like going on the website the design. You can still be a it's fluff very, guy. I could be a I fluff mean, guy. If when, what would I, what sort of the, um, if I'm not a makeup guy and I want to be a bit of a poser, if I was to buy one fluff thing, uh, lip oil, what, what would yeah, I buy? <laughs> that was a great sell. I would say the lip oil or the face oil. I've got okay. all of my guy friends onto that or just a hoodie, but I love that. <laughs> That's full poser. Want... Yeah, I can go the hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supportive. I'm supportive. Yeah, yeah, Don't bloody yeah, question yeah. me. I can get around yeah. to that. But I always said I want guys to love fluff, not because they're guys who wear makeup, but just because mm -hmm. they support their friends or their girlfriends wearing fluff or just think it's a cool brand. And, you know, with our store, we have guys come in and they're not just sitting on the bored boyfriend couch. Like they're talking to us too. They think mm -hmm. our products are cool and they a lot of them want their girlfriends or their friends to wear less makeup and they think that they're beautiful without. And so they're like, this is a brand that I want to support in terms of their messaging. I um, okay. had some, uh, some concealer or just like powder when I was younger, I had acne and I really wanted to sort of, it, this was probably 2022. 20, and then I met my wife and she stayed at my place and she found when I was at work, some, um, 
some sort of bronze or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And she was convinced yeah. that it w- wasn't mine. She's like, it wouldn't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, nah, it was mine. It was mine. So maybe I, I can get like around I feel like a lot's changed since then and now it's a lot more accepted for men to wear makeup and to care about or to put effort into their appearance. So, it's, yeah. What I'm hearing is that I was ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes. I was way ahead of the curve. I just had bad skin. I just didn't want to fucking have bad skin. Yeah, and it so probably it didn't do a job. good job of concealing. Oh, definitely. It was... Um, you know, my skin couldn't breathe. <laughs> yeah. It was thin Lizzie. <laughs> yeah. thin Lizzie. The whole thing about thin Lizzie is it's just like a, it's, anyway, I can talk about it off air. Uh, Erica, thanks for coming on the podcast. I think maybe you worked for thin Lizzie. No, they, they would really, they went real hard on the, um, the TV stuff. I just remember, I think it was a New Zealand company and yeah, yeah they, guy. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thank yeah. you for coming on, on the podcast and, uh, yeah, pumped to see that I'm definitely going to get a hoodie. I'll be wrapping it around <laughs> Collingwood. Just, I don't know. Like, so is it e-com and you've got your Gertrude? Have you got an actual store on Gertrude Street? Yes. So we had our store, which has obviously been closed during COVID and we're mm-hmm. just deciding on the next best steps for us and probably relocating. Um, but I do think sort of the future and sort of for businesses is a mixture of online and offline. We wouldn't do traditional wholesaling to your bigger um, kind of brands, but having our own stores is a really nice sort of addition. And we figure if we have to have an office, we may as well have a shop front. Yeah, definitely. Love it. Awesome. Thanks for the chat, Erica. It's a daily talk show. Thanks if you want to send us an, an email, hi at the daily talk show.com. Otherwise we'll see you tomorrow guys. Have a good one. See you guys.